Two weeks ago, we talked about Jonathan with his armor bearer, and we left him at Micmash, remember? So guess what? We're going to leave him there another week. Is that okay? You just stay there, Jonathan. Don't go anywhere. We'll pick you up here. The reason being is uh, the last couple weeks, um, well, Dave Ogren spoke last Sunday, did a great job, and um, I, I kind of feel like this is what God wants to talk about. Um, and there's a variety of reasons. But anyway, um, there it is. On the back of your programs, by the way, there's an outline, and we want to encourage you to to uh, fill in those blanks. And do you notice there's a bunch of them today? That should really get you excited, man. Um, and if you need a Bible, anybody need a Bible? We've got them on the back table. Put your hand up. Marshall's going to run you down with a Bible. Uh, it's it's the New Living and uh, translation. It's the one I enjoy. Anybody? Shoot a flare in the air so he can see you. Good. You can keep that Bible if you don't have one, too. So um, that reminds me, last Wednesday, we're going through uh, Louis Giglio's talking about the Bible, the value of it. And he did something cool, I thought, that I've never heard before. You take the whole Bible, 66 books, and you break it down into six different Acts, A-C-T-S, or scenes, or whatever. There's six of them, so you can consolidate the Bible into these six themes. The first one is beginnings. In the beginning, God created. The second one is revolt. What happens in the garden? Adam and Eve revolt against God. They sin. And people revolt ever since against God. That's two. Number three. God picks a people, Israel, to be his people, to model God being their king. Did they do a good job at that? No. So what does he have to do? He sends a savior, number four. A savior. And he will wash you whiter than snow. And Lord, we are grateful for doing that. Number five, the church. His church. His church becomes his body. That's where we are in all of world history right now. We're not in number five, the church. You are the church. You are his body. And number six, forever. Forever. We will be with him forever. Isn't that cool? Don't you like that? That's what you're missing out on Wednesday nights, man. I like it. So now when somebody says, can you tell me what the Bible's about? You say, man, no problem. Beginnings, revolt, people, Savior, church, forever. Boom! going to mess with you a little bit today, friends, and it's good to get messed up. It's too easy to get comfortable. 
We had a uh, we had a pastors gathering last Monday, and uh, they we broke into groups and they asked, "What's your biggest struggle right now?" And I I told them my biggest struggle is that I get comfortable spiritually. I don't want to do that because it's too easy to put it on cruise control. It's too easy to coast. When you're coasting and cruise control, you're going backwards. You're not going forward. And so, uh, so that's mine. I don't want to. I don't want to get comfortable spiritually. Uh, God still has a lot of work to do in me, and it's exciting to see Him do that work. You know. So. That's why we're here today. Lord, you speak to us through your word. You know, your word is powerful. And your, your word will bring life change to me. And I want that, Lord. I want to become more like you. That's why I'm here today. And so um, before we get in, let's, I was thinking, Travis, I think I forgot to pray last, uh, the first gathering. Did I forget to pray? I did? Phew. It's not good. I got so excited I forgot to pray. <laughs> so I'm reminding myself I, I need to pray. Uh, is that okay? Let's, let's talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you today. You are amazing. Man, you, you came after me when I was revolting against you. You sent a Savior to pay my sin debt. I am so grateful. And Lord, we get to open up your word today. You get to talk to us through your word. And we're, we are anticipating uh, you doing that very thing. And you talking to us specifically. Because each of us come from different backgrounds, different roads we've been on this past week, different life situations. And so we're trusting you, Lord, to do a good work here. Open up our, our ears, our eyes, our hearts. Help us to put the distractions away, all the planning, the thoughts that we have, we have to do when we get home this week. Lord, these moments will never come back again. And that's why we want to make an investment with you. I just pray your blessing on each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, back in 1996, um, there was a, a pastor's conference in New York City. And um, um, the, the guest speaker for the opening uh, session was from England. And he had a... He had a, a reputation, uh, a good reputation, and so they brought him in for, for this particular conference. And um, um, so when the host pastor from the church came out with the guest speaker, um, they, they were on the platform, and of course everybody could see him, and the, the worship uh, team started singing and during that time, which wasn't the worship, the music today, so 
so good, huh? Don't you appreciate the worship teams we've got here at Life Church, man? Woo! And the dudes up in the spot up there, they've got uh, their seatbelts on so they don't fall out of the booth up there. So while the music is going, the, the, the guest speaker's got his yellow pad out and he's making notes on it. And so uh, some of the pastors are thinking, man, it's kind of late to start preparing now. You know, you're getting ready to come up and talk. And then every once in a while he would lean over with the host pastor and they would kind of nod and stuff back and forth. And so, so when the music was all done, um, the guest speaker was introduced and, and he brought his yellow pad with him. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I have written some names down on this notepad and there are people in the room here. He doesn't know anybody, but he knows their names. Some of you are committing adultery. Some of you are addicted to pornography. And he started naming specific sins. Now I can read your names from the pulpit. Or we're going to have the worship team come back up and I would encourage you to come to the front and get right with God. In the back row, there was a young pastor with his wife, his two young sons, his siblings with their families. And on the end of the row was his father and mother. This young pastor when that invitation was given, looked into his own life and to what he recollected that he was in a right place with God. And with, with his eyes closed, he, the thought occurred to him, I wonder where my dad is. I wonder if he's still in the aisle or if he's up front. Do I, do I want to know? I, I hope he's not up front. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore, and he leaned forward and looked down, and there his father was standing with his hands up and his eyes closed. And this young pastor was so grateful that he went to, to the back aisle and came back around to where his father was and he whispered in his ear how grateful he was that his dad was a man of integrity. And they hugged and embraced. And this morning, 
We are we're touching on a subject that is messy. Because just like these pastors that were hiding their sins, which they thought they could hide from God, but no, no. Don't lie to yourself. Don't deceive yourself to think that you can hide your sin from God. God wants you to walk in purity. And he wants you to walk with integrity. And I want to ask the dads here today, dude, do you need to come up front this morning? Because God knows your name. Your sons and daughters are watching you, man. They know you. And God is saying, Be a man of integrity. Be a man of purity. Because you're desperately needed in our culture today. Young men are crying out for an example to follow. And I can tell you they're not finding it in Hollywood. And are they finding it in your neighborhood? God... When the woman caught in adultery in John 8, the religious community thought they could really mess Jesus up by bringing the woman, but they should have brought the man too. And I love, I love what Jesus does in the dirt because most likely he's, he's putting their names down and what sins they've committed and who makes them you know, so heady to bring this woman caught in adultery. They wanted to stone her. That was the culture. You catch somebody in adultery, you stone them. Take them outside of the village, the city, and you stone them, you kill them. It's pretty brutal. And Jesus stands up and he looks at this woman And he says, where are your accusers? They're all gone. Because they realize they're trying to hide their sin from God, but Jesus knows what they're doing. Don't mess with God. And he looks at this woman, he says, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Friend, when, when you have a relationship with Christ, you realize he is not to, he's not there to blow you out of the water when you sin, when you revolt against him. He is there to pick you up and say, go and sin no more. I forgive you. And so today, on the back of your your program, there's an outline, Living in Purity. Living in Purity. And Joseph models how to honor God. Man, we need that, don't we? Don't we need a model we can pattern our lives after? Don't we? And I'm so glad it's in the Bible because (laughs) how many of you know 
All the mess-ups are in the Bible, too. Our good friend David, the king, right? We could talk about him, right? But I'm so glad they put Joseph in there, too, man. Because, because we, can, we can walk in victory. We can walk uh, honoring the Lord. So, um, Genesis 3.10 I get a kick out of this verse because Adam, he thinks he's hiding from the all-seeing God, you know. He's hiding behind a tree. Eve, don't say anything. He might hear us. God asked Adam, where are you? And um, the the thought occurred to me, when you have, as a parent, when you have a, a little child, a baby, a newborn baby, you bring them home, him or her home from the hospital, what do you do? What do you do? When they're sleeping, you sneak up on them. Because you just love to watch them. Right? You just love to watch them, man. You just look at them breathe. Wow. You know? Do you get that? You look at them because you love them, and you don't even hardly know them. You gotta look at him. That's how God is, man. He he loves looking at you. Father, come over here. Look at look at my son and daughter over here. He just, they love he just loves looking at you. Why? Because he loves you. And he knows everything about you, and he still loves you. Isn't that amazing? And so here Adam. He and Eve sin, and, and they go into hiding. And that's like these pastors in New York, man. They were hiding. They thought they, they were so cool, man. You know, they could hide their sin. No, no, no. And Adam and Eve thought they could hide from God. And God asked him, hey, Adam, where are you? And God knew where they were. And he was just giving Adam an opportunity for Adam to come out front and say, Lord, I've sinned. He didn't do it. I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. How could you be afraid of a God who loves you more than anything? Who wants to forgive you, who wants to restore you? Why would you be afraid of a God like that? Well, here they are. And um, the enemy wants to hold you hostage with your secret sin. He does. That's what he wants to do. He wants to hold you hostage. He wants to blackmail you. He wants... He wants to suck the spiritual fiber out of you by you being compromised. So let's jump in, friends, to the intro that sex was God's idea. And I know that can take your breath away. What? Yes, sex was God's idea. In Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last the man explained, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. 
And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Before we get into sex was God's idea, I would like to remind all of us that the revolt, we have the beginning, we have the revolt. There are many followers of Christ that are revolting against God's guidelines for sexuality, for purity. There's a lot of revolting going on. I don't care what God has to say. I, grant God is so old-fashioned. He's out of tune, man. Shh. We have to settle it. When you experience the love of God, which he proved by dying on the cross for you and for me, That proves his love. But when you experience his love, something happens to you to where you start lining up to what God says and obeying it. Out of love. Not out of rules and regulations. It's out of love. Out of love because I have experienced his love. I will love him back. In a very simple, you've heard me say it many times, man. The longer I have been married to my wife, I see the pain in her eyes when I cause pain to her. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to do anything to hurt her. Because I love her. We can translate that right over to our relationship with the Lord. I don't want to do anything to grieve him because I know he loves me so. And we see it in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. Isn't that true? Man, the longer, uh, longer I have a relationship with the Lord, his love just keeps getting bigger, wider, deeper. And I, I, I'm overwhelmed by that kind of love. I, I can't fully understand it. So that's what Paul says. And, you know, we can go to Psalm 139 where David's just talking about, God, you put me together. How cool, he says. Um, mm, um, for making me wonderfully complex. And you watched, you watched me when you put me together. Lord, thank you. Thank you. And then in Genesis 1.26, God said to the Son and Holy Spirit, hey, let's make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth. And the small animals that scurry along the ground. What kind of animals are those that scurry on the ground? 
So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Little footnote here. In our culture today, do you see God giving human beings dominion over the animal kingdom? you see that? What's happening in our culture today? We're elevating the animal kingdom and we're lowering the human beings to be on the same plane. And that mentality has crept into sexuality because when you look at the animal kingdom, they procreate. But there's no bonding going on in the animal kingdom. There is no soul in the animal kingdom. It's the human being that has been created in the image of God. We, we, we are image bearers of God. And because he made us, and because he puts worth and purpose on us, he has given us directions on how we take this gift of sex. And we see God gives us a model right here in Genesis 2 that the Lord God made, verse 22, a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And I, I love this. At last, the man explained, you know, in the English, we just don't get the full extent of the emotion that Adam felt here. He's going like, holy cow. Like, wow! A lot of emotion, man. A lot of emotion. This is what happened. God brought Eve. She was naked. To Adam, who was naked. And God said, this is good. And Adam looks at Eve and goes, Whoa, baby. Whoa. Did God say, Adam, calm down? Is that in the Bible? Calm down, Adam. Get your mind out of the gutter, Adam. Hmm? No, he doesn't do that, does he? Because God created sex. That was his idea. But his idea was that becoming one being joined together, there was a bonding that takes place on the honeymoon, a husband and wife coming together sexually. That's God. And in the eyes of God, when you consummate that marriage, it's done through sexual intimacy. It's done. There's a, there's a bonding that takes place. And we'll, we'll hit this in a, in a moment. There's a joining together. There's a welding in the eyes of God. You are welded together as one. Isn't that cool? That's God's idea. And some people think, man, God, God gets embarrassed when we talk about sexuality. and It was God's idea. And, and he, he's, he's given this tremendous gift of sexual intimacy to married couples that should be opened on their honeymoon. See? 
But our culture today instead says purity, what's that word? Self-control, what's that? That's foreign to them. Why? Because our culture says that you're like an animal. You cannot control your sexual desires. See, You cannot do that. And we agree with them. We say, yeah, you're right. I can't control my sexual desires. Yeah, you're right. God says you can with his help. And when we look that sex is God's idea, can you see when you take sex outside of marriage the the damage it does to people? I would say there are women here today that have been sexually abused with the amount of women. You, You were sexually abused as a little girl. Is that good? No, that's not good. How come you never hear about that in Hollywood? Husbands and wives having relationships outside of their spouses, how does that impact the children in that family? Is that good? Hmm? Spouses seeing their husbands, wives dabbling in pornography, is that good? How does that make their spouse feel? You take, you take sexuality, the sexual intimacy, the gift that God has given to married couples, and you take it out of that context, it destroys people. It destroys families. But nobody's talking about it. And so, yes, in our, in our schools, we give condoms out because you're an animal. You're just like a dog. You can't say no. And women dress like prostitutes because their biological fathers never gave them the attention or affection that they needed in a healthy way. And they're crying out for it. Good or bad, see? When you you take the truth, man, and you put it on the screen, I'm telling you, man, it gets ugly pretty quick. But when you take the gift of sexual intimacy and you keep it in the boundaries that God intended it to be, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Are you with me? And so this morning, this is not a talk to pound you into the ground to say what a terrible person you are. This is a talk to encourage you to say, man, if you're stuck in some secret sin, or you're dabbling, whatever it may be, this is a great morning to come clean and say, God, forgive me. Let's start this thing all over again. I want to be a man and woman of integrity. I want to be a man and woman of purity. I want it. Because our culture is crying out for it, believe me. And so... um, A single woman uh, was at a church where there was a talk on sexual intimacy and purity and afterwards she came up and she talked to the pastor, you know, I, I don't agree with you, I have to say. 
the revolt. The revolt. I don't agree with what God has to say. I don't agree. And so she was asked by the pastor, has sex as a single woman made your life better or more complicated? She didn't say better. She said complicated. Definitely complicated. She was then asked if God is a heavenly father who loves you and wants the best for you and he knows sex apart from marriage will complicate your life, what would you expect him to say about it? What would you expect him to say about it? God would say, don't complicate your life. You're you're complicating. You're, you're, You're confusing life. And so... Friends, let me tell you, it's, uh, I, 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 um, I think about the chainsaw that you can buy at the store, and man, we've had a bunch of chainsaws on our property terrorizing our trees. And how many of you know chainsaws can be a good thing, right? But they can also cut your leg off if you're not careful. Have you noticed that? Your iPhone, it comes with directions. Don't bring your iPhone into the pool. I'm going to revolt against that, man. These iPhone people, they are taking the fun out of me carrying my iPhone. I deserve to have my iPhone in the pool with me. Do you find that restrictive from Apple? I don't think so. So why would we feel like God is squeezing fun out of life by simply following his guidelines. Huh? Where, where, how many of you have furnaces in your house, man, and when it was 50 below zero, weren't you glad for the furnace? How many of you would like to have that furnace just explode out of control and burn your house down? Boy, it would really keep you warm then. A fire under control can warm your marriage. A fire that cannot be controlled, it will destroy your life. And God realized that. Because he loves you and he's trying to protect you. So, um, I, I got stuff here, surveys. They're not, even, they're not even spiritual. They're not even from a Christian background. Not, no Christian sources, man. They'll, they'll tell you pornography, uh, extra sexual activities lead to depression, lead to health risks. This is not even biblical. Time Magazine, April 30th, 2016, on the cover, talks about how young men and women are sabotaging their, sa- their sexuality by having their brains rewired because of pornography. See? That's not even coming out of a a theology school or or from a church. It's secular. 
And we think God's some grumpy old man, you know, trying to keep us from having fun. No, no, no. God knows you because he created you. He knows how you're wired. And because he loves you, he's trying to protect you. And so this morning, as we jump now from sex was God's idea, we jump into Potiphar's house. Let's go number one. Living in Potiphar's house, Genesis 39.1. Did I already ask you if you needed Bibles? I asked everybody in the first gathering too, so I just want to make sure you get the same treatment here. It's important. Genesis 39.1, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Living in Potiphar's house, you might think, well, that's kind of weird, man. I'm not living in Potiphar's house. Oh, yes, you are. Because, first of all, Potiphar's house is a model of the world that you and I are living in today. It's a model. Because on the outside, when you go into Potiphar's house, Potiphar was successful. He was a successful government official. He had the latest chariot in his driveway. It had air conditioning. He had the biggest screen on his wall, and the, neighbor, the neighbors were just freaking out, man. Because when, they, when the neighbors looked at Potiphar's house, they thought, man, the dude's got it together. If only we could have a marriage like Potiphar and his wife. Because they look so happy. They've got everything. You know, the latest, the latest, the latest, the best, the best, the best. And that's how our culture kind of feeds us the same thing, man. We have to try, you know, keep up. But when you pull the veneer back, there's, some, there's some, some stuff going on in Potiphar's house. You and I are living in some stuff in our culture today. That's not good. But you know what I like about Joseph? The dude, he's not saying, Lord, can you get me out of this environment? Can you send a drone in and pull me out? You know? I can't take it anymore. This is such a pagan house. Do you realize that he's a slave, which means he's stuck? He can't turn his resignation in, his letter, and say, I'm signing off, Potiphar. I can't take it anymore. You know? He's stuck. Some of you may feel stuck where you're working or in a relationship. And God will give you the grace, man, if you ask him for it. Because Joseph let his light shine in Potiphar's house and God is expecting the very same thing from you and me in our culture today. We are not to move into a holy huddle somewhere and call at the end of the day and pray for Jesus to come. You are here on purpose. God has you in your job on purpose to be the light, to point people to Christ. And so we're all living in Potiphar's house. Are you happy about that? Yes or no? 
It's not a trick question. It really, it isn't. It, we should say, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because God has me where he wants me. Right? God knows where I'm at. And so um, that leads us to number two. God is with me. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. You see, Joseph didn't undermine Potiphar's home. He didn't, he didn't throw golf balls down the toilet to clog it, you know. He didn't burn the pizzas in the oven, you know, I'm going to get back at them. I'm a slave here. No. He, uh, he served Honoring the Lord. And Potiphar notices, and and that's a good point, friends, because people should notice our work ethic. Because they're watching. And so success in everything he did, and it pleased Potiphar, and he made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. And with Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Developing a relationship with the Lord, uh, which we should be doing if we're followers of Christ. That should be ongoing, developing that. Um, when temptation shows up, which they do, you're living in Potiphar's house, temptation's coming every day. It's hitting a fan in your life every day. But by integrating that relationship with Christ and reading his word and applying it to your life, you should be able to look at temptation, pull the veil back and realize this is not the real deal. There is a fish hook with bait on it. And behind the bait, there's a hook. We see through it. God will give you wisdom for that. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what Joseph was doing, man. He's taken God's word. God has spoken into his life. And he's saying, I am committing to not sing against the Lord. Number three, temptation comes knocking. Verse 6b, Joseph was very handsome and well-built young man. Then Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. So, hey, Joe, Joe, let's have sex. That's a paraphrase, of course. But that's the world we're living in. You know, sexting, uh, all the stuff that hits the fan in Potiphar's house. That's where we're at, you know. That's where we're living today, unfortunately. But I like this in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. the message. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. 
All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. And if I could add a little footnote to that, if you let him. He will help you if you let him. If you don't revolt against him. Temptation, friends, it's, it's going to keep knocking um, as long as you're breathing. Temptation will not go away. It's not a sin when temptation comes. It's what you decide and choose to do with temptation. See. For God lives in me, verse 8, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Paul says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, I, I think this is so cool because back in the Old Testament, you'd always have to get in the chariot and take a long trip to get to the temple to go to church. In the New Testament, when the veil was torn from top to bottom, that gave us access in the very presence of God. Plus, God put his temple in there. He, he moved in all of his furniture. God moved in. You are a temple. Wherever you go, you bring God with you. And Joseph recognized that. He was a walking billboard in Egypt where you had all of these crazy gods they worshipped. Joseph said, I'm in Egypt and I'm going to live for God because God is in me. And that's what he did. Five, temptation won't give up. Look at verse 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Every day, day after day. But he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. I would say that's pretty wise of Joseph, wouldn't you? Huh? I think Joseph would maybe take one of the others. Hey, will you come in the house with me? I don't want to be alone with, with Potiphar's wife, you know? He did everything he could in his control. She wouldn't relent. She wouldn't give up. Are there temptations like that for you, man, where it just feels unrelenting? I can't take it anymore, so I'm going to give in. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Because, number six, who am I when nobody's looking? Verse 11, one day, however, no one else was around when he went into his work. He, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Can you imagine the tension, the pressure that Joseph was under with this, his boss's wife grabbing him and saying, let's have sex right now because nobody else is in the house. Nobody else will know. Who you are when nobody's watching is a picture of your character. Your character shows when nobody's watching, you know? When you think, nobody will know, nobody, you know, it's it's a secret, my secret. But when you're on your computer and... You could you, your mind. You could just slide off over into this site over here. Nobody will know. Your character's showing. 
And Joseph was a man of character. Because he loved God and he knew God loved him. And so he would not be compromised. And I'm going to ask you, how's it going in your private life when nobody's watching? Where do you go? Where, where, what do you look at? What do you listen to? Who am I when nobody's looking? Remember Ashley Madison, those leaks back in 2015 in July? All these men and women that were on that website that was supposed to be secret, that their spouses wouldn't find out about? It went public, it leaked. How do you think those people felt? Huh? You think that helped their marriage or hurt their marriage? Well, Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he's the one to whom we're accountable. You're like Adam and Eve, man. I'm going to go hide in a tree somewhere. God can't find me. Yes, he can. He's not there to pounce on you. He's on there to restore you. Seven, have an escape plan, verse 12b. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran as he ran from the house. That word ran in the Hebrew means to flee. It means to escape. It means to take flight. In other words, put it in D, drive, and get out of there. Don't procrastinate. Joe, he just jumped right out of that jacket, man. He just took off, and she's holding his jacket. First Thessalonians 4, 3, and 4. People always say, you know, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because it's in the Bible. You may not know the future of your life, the specifics, but you know some practical areas of God's will, and it's told us right here, God's will is for you to be holy. That's what God's will is. So you, what we know to be God's will, we should do it. Automatic. It's God's will to be holy, so here's a footnote. Stay away from all sexual sin. Is that clear enough, or do we need a little more clarity on it? Huh? What do you think? Yes or no? More clear? It's clear, isn't it? So stay away. What does that mean, stay away? Stay away means stay away. It's kind of like when you see a skunk with a tail up. That's kind of the signal. You need to stay away from a skunk, right? Um, so, so there we have it. And um, in your notes there, here's an escape plan. Uh, 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20. First of all, run for your life. Run for your life. Look at verse 18, 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as the one this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. What's that about? What Paul is saying is, every time you have sex with someone who is not your spouse, you are leaving a part of yourself behind with that person. It goes back to the bonding, the bonding the gift that God created sexual intimacy for marriage, that when you come together as husband and wife, you are bonding as one. 
the two shall become one. That's bonding. What Paul is saying, you sin against yourself, is you're, because you're leaving a part of you behind. So in that day when you have a spouse, you're not giving that person all of you because you left parts of you wherever. Is that what you want to do? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.16, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? You see, there's a bonding in this. For the scripture says the two are united into one. And God recognizes that. There's, a, there's intimacy that should come with sexual intimacy for a husband and a wife. It should be exclusive. That's what romance is. How, how would you like it if you're, on Valentine's Day your spouse said, you know what, I love you with most of my heart. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's so romantic. That doesn't do, does it? I love you with all of my heart. It's exclusive. My heart's not broken up in pieces somewhere else, right? Right. I'm agreeing with myself, by the way. Or I can't stop thinking about you and so and so. How does that make you feel? Oh, man, that's cool. No, romance is exclusive. It's designed to be exclusive. I give you all of myself. That's God's will, his picture. And so, mm, Judy Bucknell, I think, reflects what Paul's talking about here. She was killed in 1980 in Miami. Um, she was stabbed, strangled, and the Miami Herald reporter, she would have been another statistic except when they found her diary. Her diary exposed what was going on the inside of her, which I believe goes in inside of a lot of people who are revolting against God's principles. She writes, um, where are the men with the flowers and music? Where are the men who call and ask for a genuine actual date? Where are the men who would like to share more than my bed, my booze, my food? I would like to have in my life once before I pass through my life the kind of sexual relationship which is part of a loving relationship. She's she's proactive sexually, but it's not not meeting her needs. See, God knows that. God could have told her that if she would have listened. She says, I'm so jealous, you know, when I see people together, I want to throw up. What about me?
It goes on to say that she had many lovers. She had 59 lovers in 56 months. Now, the world would say, man, you are, you're hitting it good, lady. You should be really fulfilled, man. Aren't you satisfied? No, no, that's... Her diary says, I feel so old, unloved, unwanted, abandoned, used up. I want to cry and sleep forever. You see... That's the world's recipe for being happy and fulfilled, being sexually active outside of marriage. Is that good or bad? I would say Judy Bucknell had a broken heart. But you don't read these stories coming out of Hollywood, do you? No, you don't. So... So what else? What else do we do? Number two, I'm not my own. Verse 19, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. So God made you. He paid for you. He lives in you. Really, the only thing we can do is give him our body back and say, use it, Lord, for your glory. I'm not my own. All these desires I have, I need to use self-control to honor God, which leads us to number three. I will honor God. Verse 20, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Yeah. And just a footnote, if you've gone off the rails here um, sexually, And you might think, this is a sin that God doesn't forgive. Yes, it is a sin that God forgives. Listen to this. If if you're off the rails this morning, here's hope. Here it is. 1 Corinthians 6.11, those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But it doesn't stop there. Because Paul was addressing the people in church in Corinth who had come out of a very pagan, sexual-heavy culture. But he says, some of you were once like that. You see that word, were? But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that cool? Woo, baby! So, so pornography, so adultery, so premarital sex, so... Whatever the case may be, you may, Satan's taking you on a trail, pulling your chain, saying, God could never forgive you, man. You've messed up too many times. He's a liar. You were cleansed. That means made clean. Whiter than snow. You were made holy. You were set apart for special purposes. You were made right with God. Isn't that cool? You were made right with God.
you were made right with God. And for that, we're grateful. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank the Lord for his forgiveness, no matter what we've done. Which leads us to number eight. It's not popular to honor God. How many of you would say yo to that? It's not popular to honor God. It isn't. Verse 13, when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Mrs. Potiphar's lying about Joseph. Why? Because her ego has been tampered with. You know, She could have anything she wanted, but Joseph said, no. I'll get back. I'll get back at him. I'll falsely accuse him. Your culture, our culture today, Potiphar's house today, is saying, man, if you want to honor God with your body, you are out of touch with reality. You will be mocked. You will be made fun of. The list goes on and on. But you have to be okay with that. I'm good with that because God loves me. I don't have to go looking for love. God loves me. I'm good with that. And I'm going to honor God with my body and with my life. Why? Why would you do that? There's a big church in Wisconsin where the lead pastor stepped down because he was having an affair. Was that good or bad for the church? Was it good or bad for the kingdom of God? It was bad. Because right off the top, 1,500 people backed it up and left. Gone. How about the neighborhood around the church? How do they think they look at the church now? Huh? What, what do they think about God when they think about that kind of news? Hmm? Is it good or bad? Okay. Joseph wanted his life to point to God. All I do is to honor him. It is so liberating. And I want to encourage you with that. Ann Wilson said, We were married for 10 years and lonelier than ever. Then this happened and changed everything. She said, I would never have conceived having a husband, two kids, friends, and my heart being suffocated. I was married for 10 years, yet I was lonelier than ever. It may seem that my husband was totally oblivious to my needs more often than not. To me, he was a good man. He was a pastor. He was a chaplain for the Detroit Lions. He was inspiring on stage. He was a leader of men. Everybody loved him, wanted to follow him, but he left me in the dust. 
My heart felt bruised and cold. We were in a bad place in our marriage. I don't know how I could, we could have found our way back. But before I knew it, 10 years had gone. Then out of nowhere, Dave took me to a nice restaurant for our anniversary. We sat down and the waiter started bringing one rose at a time. Each rose, 10 roses, one at a time. He would tell the history of those 10 years. He poured out his heart of the 10 years we had spent together. And Ann says, yeah, he was very, very sweet. I knew he was trying to make up for lost time, but I felt it was too late. And as we were walking to the parking lot, he tried to kiss me, and I pushed him away. He seemed baffled by my lack of affection. And he asked me why, and I simply said, I've lost my feelings for you, Dave. I'm empty. The look on his face, man, it was, it was shock. Um, he had just planned this romantic evening, and instead of all he had dreamed of for the night, he's coming face to face with his wife who has nothing for him. He asked me to explain what I meant. I said, I feel like you're never home. I feel you're not engaged with me. I feel like you're not engaged with the boys. My heart for you feels dead, and I feel lonely and forgotten. I was gone. I've given up. I was in the salon now, and I knew it would be the beginning of the end for our marriage. And I don't remember how long we stood there in silence as I waited for his reply, but instead Dave said one of the most bizarre things ever. Honey, I just have to do something first. They got into the car and um, instead of being the end of our marriage, it was instead the beginning of a new beginning. Instead of yelling at me like he often did when we had conflict, Dave began to pray. Somehow he got down in our Honda with the steering wheel in his back and he knelt. I was, I was speechless by what I saw because he began to pray out loud, repenting of being too busy, of being lukewarm spiritually, of asking God to help him to become the husband and father he was supposed to be and not being a hypocrite that he had become. I just sat there looking at him, barely believing what I was seeing. And I realized my heart had become so hardened. But as he prayed, my heart began to melt and break. I could suddenly hear God gently whispering to me, Ann Wilson, you have been trying to get your happiness from your husband and I've never made him for that. I never equipped him to fill all your needs. I am the only one who can meet all your needs. And the message was very clear. I hadn't been willing to even kiss my husband of 10 years. But when God's words rang out in my heart, I became willing to do something even crazier. I got down on my knees in that little Honda next to my husband. I prayed, Jesus, I want to surrender all my life to you. I've realized tonight that I've been trying to find my life in Dave. I've been trying to get from him what only you, you alone, can provide. I've been believing that if Dave would be just a better husband, then I could truly be happy. That's a lie. 
You are the source of all my joy. I choose you again tonight as my life. Take my life and our marriage and do great things in us and through us. Twenty-eight years later, she says, I can tell you that our moment of repentance changed everything. And I mean everything. The secret we have been missing for the first decade of our marriage began to become a new daily reality. And now, I pray that this will become a new reality for you as well. The simple secret begins when realizing that a purely horizontal marriage just doesn't work. There's no life, there's no power in ourselves alone. Without the vertical, without God in first place, we search for life where there is no life. It took a vertical miracle to change our horizontal mess. And that night was the beginning. God began crashing in on the loneliness of my icy heart. If he has the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead, he has the power to breathe new life into a dead marriage. Your marriage. The answer to the longing and loneliness of your heart is not found in the perfect spouse or the perfect marriage. It's found simply in Jesus Christ. Hmm. Nineteen ninety-six, there were pastors that had to go to God and confess their sin. Ann Wilson had to go to God and confess her sin, as her husband Dave did this morning. Is there anything you need to confess to God for a life of purity? What is God's Spirit saying to you this morning? You can revolt or you can humble yourself. Lord, we thank you Spirit of the living God, you've been talking. We've been listening. And now we can choose to obey or disobey. Lord, you've given us a plan. see ground in our hearts this morning.
us, Lord, we want deep down, Lord, there's a cry in our heart to honor you. Lord, we want to honor you. In our marriages, in our singleness, in our jobs, at school. Jesus' name.